From his parody songs and hype man style on the mic at industry events to his one-liners at dinners and other socials, you know Adam Clark in the Longhorn industry. If you don't know Adam, be sure to check out what he's got going on at Hollybilly Farms in Edwardsburg, Michigan. In 2016, Adam's wife Jen wanted to purchase a quarter of a beef. Adam misunderstood the question. On their Michigan farm, you'll find genetics going back to Rebel HR, whose daughter just set the new record selling for $700,000, Tempter, Hubble's 20 gauge, Cowboy Tough Checks, Bubba Tough Checks, Delta Lucky Ace, and more. If you're in the Midwest area and listening to this podcast, be sure to check out Adam and Jen Clark at Hollybilly Farms. That's H-O-L-L-Y-B-I-L-L-Y-F-A-R-M-S dot com. What's going on, everybody? Today, we get to dive in with Scott Picker of A&S Landing Cattle. They're out there in Dundee, Oregon. Um, I first met Scott in 2018. Well, that'd be a lie. I met him before that, but we went out to, to the Oregon sale in 2018 that was hosted by uh, uh, Daniel and Angelina Fay um, out there in uh, Yamhill, Oregon. Um, got to meet Scott, got to meet his lovely wife too in the Longhorn industry. And, uh, they did some really cool stuff this year, uh, with their Oregon trail sale and their fraternity of the West and, uh, something that kind of changed or, or challenged the status quo and kind of put, uh, some thoughts in some people's, people's minds about what could be done with fraternities. It had an incredible payout and they're building this fantastic culture out there. Um, being away from the hub of the Longhorn industry, it's really awesome to kind of see the leadership that happens because we're such a grassroots organization and to see that leadership and, uh, not just the, the act of it, but you know, they're putting their, their boots on the ground and, and rubber meeting the road and, and all that stuff and, and really making things happen and they're, and they're finding success in it, right? They're seeing results. Uh, and it's so awesome to watch. Uh, for what they can do with the Longhorn industry itself and what they're doing with the markets and and how they're challenging things. And uh, that's what we're going to dive into here today. And uh, just want to welcome and, and thank the Scott Picker for jumping on and, and having a conversation with us. We hope you guys enjoy it. As the 2022 Fraternity Money Earners List Exhibit of the Year, the Mannings of M7 Longhorns in Lippin, Texas have been big supporters of the Longhorn industry with their participation in sales and fraternities coast-to-coast in a short time. Named after Wayne, Joanna, and their five wonderful children, their goal is to breed total package animals, and they've accomplished this by their successes on the fraternity circuit. Pay attention to their bull power with WS Hydro, HL Django, Danny Boy LM, PCC Big News, and PCC Cactus Jack, crossing with their wonderful lineup of females. You can find Wayne and Joanna at most Longhorn events and at the m7longhorns.com. That's m7longhorns.com. Welcome everyone to the Tip to Tail Podcast. Join us as we visit with breeders from all walks of life and every facet of the Longhorn industry. Hear their stories, their successes, their failures, and hopefully adding value to your program. Thanks for being here. Man, I really want to do um, an intro where we got kind of candid stuff kind of out of uh, all the, the conversations that I get to have. So, um, okay. you know, no it, 
we have the editing ability where if you uh, if you want to cuss somebody out, you're like, no, no, we, we can't we can't put that out there. That's no problem. That comes right off. So <laughs> that's good. that's always there. How you guys doing? Good. So you can make me look smart, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and I, I, the the big thing is I can take my uh, my stumbling out of the conversation. <laughs> so uh, my mind moves faster than my mouth sometimes, and I and I get to stumbling and bumbling. So uh, it's to make me look smart. Yeah, we know you're smart. You got successful business, gorgeous place, uh, heck of a Longhorn event that you've been putting on out there. That's growing. Like, I mean, you got it rocking. Yeah, that's been pretty fun to see uh, people's feedback on it and how we improve every year. So that's always important. I'm like, if we make a mistake, let's learn from it. And if we can uh, keep moving forward, that's the important part. Well, before we dive into it, uh, I want to introduce you to everybody that's listening. We got Scott Picker of A&S Land and Cattle out of Dundee, Oregon. <clears throat> Anybody's familiar with Oregon, which in, in, in my part of the country, nobody's familiar with Oregon, but it is in the northwest corner of the, the state right there. I guess you, you guys are southwest of Portland or are you northwest of Portland? Southwest by an hour. In An absolutely beautiful country. So, you know, before we kind of dive into some stuff, tell us about how ANS Land and Cattle came to be, kind of the history of your your company too, right? You got a, a fantastic landscape business in that part of the world. And then it kind of dives into Longhorns too. And I, I look at, you know, I've seen some of your landscaping, right? I was out there, I think it was 2018 when I was out there. And uh, right. we drove around. It was me, I think Marlene, was Marlene Reynolds there? I think Marlene Reynolds was there, Jane, uh Jamie Freeman and Jamie Freeman and I both got car sick. So uh, <laughs> if if you remember, we went to lunch and uh, we both get motion sickness and uh, it, it tore us up. But we went and looked at a job and, and what stood out to me was how you ran your business and, and how clean your business was just, just on that. We were at a, we went to, and I don't know if you remember, we went to uh, a particular vineyard um, that you essentially had people there full time. Um, I mean, they outsourced you to do all the landscaping 365 days a year. The way in which you conducted business was exactly how you ran your cattle operation. And it was clean and it was concise. And like every for, for, at that moment, everything clicked for me. Like this guy is going to be successful because he is so tidy and so like he's got everything buttoned up on the business side. And the cow business is going to be the same way. Yeah, that's what uh, helps make us successful. I mean, when you wear a lot of hats, you have to be organized at each each one of those. So I try to spill my landscaping kind of uh, knowledge into the cattle world and uh, treat it the same way. Everything's clean and precise, hopefully. Not always, but most of the time. <laughs> that's the one thing about cows is sometimes they decide that we're just going to tear the gates down, hop over fences, do whatever we want to do, and just kind of run amok. So... Much like the history of the Longhorn and the addition it is to this country, the great state of New York has held similar effects. And we aren't talking about the skylines and the hustle of New York City, we're talking about the beautiful rolling farmlands and finger lakes that upstate New York has to offer. We're talking about farmsteads that have been in the same families for over 150 years. It's the land of milk and beef with Longhorns few and far between. That's where you'll find Reinhardt Ranch and YMI Cattle Co., along with the fifth generation of the family involved in the agricultural industry. 
With a successful history of building herds of Holsteins and Brown Swiss from the ground up, the family sold out of their dairy operation in 2017 to enjoy life with their growing children. You can only hold off on the cattle bug for so long though. In 2021, the Reinhardt family dove into Longhorns full force with a foundation herd of four females from Texas. New and growing, you'll remember the Reinhardt name. Reinhardt Ranch and YMI Cattle Co. of Lafayette, New York, developing quality cattle within New York and the East Coast a generation at a time. The, uh, so how, how'd you get started in the Longhorns? Where, where did the Longhorns come to be there in Dundee, Oregon? Sure. So uh, growing up, I grew up on a cattle operation. It was a commercial cattle operation. And when I say that, it was like 40 head. Um, my dad was a custom harvester. So now was that locally there or where were you in the state? On the Eastern side of the state. So it wasn't, we have two sides of the state. One is green and lush and pretty that you saw. And then there's the other side of the state, more rangeland and long vast areas. And there's a, there's a ton of ranching history in that part of Oregon, right? I mean, um, There's, yeah. I read a book, I've read it multiple times. It's called the pastures of beyond. And, uh, it's, a about a gentleman who grew up in the greatest generation of our, of our country. And he was born in Wisconsin. He was as a kid, broke his mother's window goofing around. And this we're talking late teens, early twenties. Uh, at that time he jumped a, a train you know, hoboed a train all the way to Eastern Oregon where his uncle had a ranch and it was his life as a cowboy essentially there in Eastern Oregon. So I, sorry to interject. Go ahead. No. So we, I have a lot of common with that person. I too broke my mom's uh, picture window, uh, got spanked quite a bit for that. But, uh, and then we grew up on a ranch over there. Uh, my grandpa came over from, uh, South Dakota and started, started farming in, uh, in Hermiston, Oregon. So Eastern Oregon. Um, so I always grew up with cattle, kind of had a knowledge of it, went off to college, What became an ag teacher, but knew um, I really wanted to have cattle again later. But uh, my wife was from the west side of Oregon, and I knew I wasn't going to get her to the east side of Oregon. So we moved over to the west side, and uh, agriculture is a little bit different than what I was used to here. Land's expensive. Uh, a lot of row crops, a lot of grapes, hazelnuts, things like that. Not a lot of cattle. Um, and I learned why. It's wet over here. And wet means mud during all winter months. So it's a little more of a challenge, but I, I love it. It's, uh, it's fun. And it's pretty over here. And cows can graze for a long period of time on this green grass that we have. But so m- my wife and I decided we wanted to have a herd of some kind of cattle. And she's a veterinarian, so she said, hey, I, I really don't want to dehorn. And we found this this uh, Bronve breed that we really wanted. And uh, we just couldn't get a registered herd of those. So we talked again. She said, I just don't want to dehorn cows. So that night I was on Craigslist, and I found a herd of five Texas Longhorns. And I thought, well, we don't have to dehorn these suckers. I bought them, and then I told her later. Uh, and they showed up. <laughs> Easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission in that in that instance. So they they show up in this old horse trailer and they let the first first of them out and there's a bull with them and the gate closed on him so kind of shocked him and he put his horns right through the ceiling of this old 
uh, horse trailer. My wife looks at me and she's like, what did you get us into? Well, it turns <laughs> out he by the gate and he ended up being just the sweetheart of a bull. But like everybody, you know, these were not real desirable longhorns. We were excited to get our first ones. We thought we had the biggest set of horns anyone in the world had, right? And and then we get to know the breed a little bit more and get more into it. And we don't have any uh, except on our wall um, of the first original ones. We just kept one on the wall for, for I guess, memory's sake. But we've hopefully improved our herd since then. But it was really fun getting to know the cattle's personality. I love Longhorn. It's... Growing up with commercial cattle is totally different. Longhorns have a personality. I mean, they, you just, you got to love them. They're just an easygoing breed. So this is something that I didn't know about you, right? Is that, that you came from the cattle background. And, and one of the things that I talk about often, especially in, in I had a conversation, I, I think it was Stacy Schumacher about this earlier was when you look at some of the further markets, right? We got Oklahoma and Texas kind of as the center hub of the Texas horn industry, but you look at the East coast, you look at the Midwest, you look at the Western coast and I know for us on the East, a lot of people that get into Longhorns, you know, we'll, 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 that, that just start out, come from an agricultural background. They grew up on a family farm, uh, but didn't necessarily get into farming and ranching, right? Um, and for various reasons. And, and the question that a lot of people have now is like, well, what's going to happen to the farms? Um, you know, the generations aren't, the next generations aren't wanting them. Where are they going to go? And you know, we're down, it's like 2% of the population feeds the entire country, so to say. And, but what, what I see a lot in the Longhorns, especially you go to these distant markets, East coast, Midwest, West coast is, uh, you get people who grew up in the ag industry, whether they were dairy farmers or grew up in row cropping or grew up in some type of ranching, uh, atmosphere and they got away from it, right? It wasn't what they wanted to do. It's not how they wanted to spend their time. And as they become successful, they realize I miss that. Like I, there's, there's parts of it. There's a romantic aspect of it that I miss. And the Longhorns have been a great escape for a lot of people to get back into that, not diving in head first into a huge Angus operation or a huge Holstein operation where they can have Longhorns that are a little bit easier to take care of than those other breeds of cattle. And um, I, I feel like there's a lot of success in those people because they're stockmen. They know what a good cow is before they even get into Longhorns. They know what confirmation is. They know what milking ability is. They know what mothering ability is. And they understand that. They're just not getting into Longhorns because they want to get into cows. Like there is a background there. And I didn't know that about you. And that's, that's interesting to me because it makes a lot of sense in what you've found success in. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, you know, the, I, I hear what you're saying because, you know, I didn't think I'd like to get into cattle. I, you know, I grew up always dirty. I was probably the stinky kid in class because we had a, a lot of chores to do before we went to school in the morning. Anyway, I always thought, oh, it's just so much work, just so much work. But just like you said, once I made some money in a different industry and I enjoyed, I enjoy my career, but the relaxation part is me coming home to the Longhorns now. And now it's, I kind of started as a hobby and unfortunately I don't do anything as a hobby. And so it got a little bigger, but I enjoy it still. I love going out in the field with these cows and it's a total different um, scenario than commercial, commercially raising cows. You know, you can select for specific genetics, specific colors, 
you know, horn, twist, all that stuff. And it's really a challenge to me to be successful at that. And my dad having commercial cattle, I, I dropped off a, um, some longhorns that I bought in Idaho. The halfway point was my dad's ranch. And uh, I asked him if I could drop some longhorns off there. And I'd come and get him over the weekend. He said, yeah, that's fine. So the person dropped him off and he called me up and he's like, oh, I can't believe these. You're getting into these. That's ridiculous. Texas Longhorns aren't just in Texas. They're coast to coast, Cali included. Siller Land and Longhorns, located in the Sierra foothills of California, purchased their ranch in 2016 and their love for Longhorns quickly began. It didn't take long for the Sillers to purchase more land from California to Texas and no time to grow to 200 head. With their sometimes stressful everyday jobs, these Longhorns bring so much enjoyment and peacefulness. Purchasing Longhorns from across the country, Siller Land and Longhorn has some of the best genetics ever made. If you know Mac and Andrea, it's go big or go home. They strive to breed the best. Siller Land and Longhorns, proud to be raising industry-leading quality right here in the heart of Texas and California. You can find them at SillerLonghorns.com. That's S-I-L-L-E-R-L-O-N-G-H-O-R-N-S.com. By the time two days later I came to pick up those, he's like, well, you know, you can probably leave those three over there with me and, and they'd be fine. He really <laughs> liked it. That was kind of funny seeing that. an old farmer stuck in his ways change his mind too. Um, and now he gets excited every time I come through. He's like, stop in. I want to see what you got. So it's pretty cool. Bridging a generation, so to speak. I think there's a mystique to him, right? Like there's a romantic history to the Longhorn. It's about as American as you can get when you look at their their success stories, right? There's failures and there's there's prospering in there and there's good times and there's bad times and there's working through the, you know, the rough times of the country. And, um, the, the longhorn cow was always there. So, and you know, cinema came up with it, with the cowboy, you know, entertainment with John Wayne. And, um, you know, there was, there was this, this thing growing up, especially as boys, like we played cowboys and Indians, like we wanted to be cowboys you know, we were, we watch rodeos and ropings and bucking horses and, and long for these big, vast, uh, ranches where you can see end to end, you know, Eastern Oregon, for example. And I think even when you take the old hardened farmer, who's, anti-horn and take your cattle to the local market uh again they they understand they're stockmen they understand livestock and and they see those cows and uh and they're like holy smokes like this is cool right yeah you know most people don't do good with horns over on this side of the state as far as taking market but you take a healthy looking longhorn to a to a sale there's going to be people bidding even at, even at the local auction yard, it's uh, guys that get desperate to sell and they don't take care of their longhorns and they come in really skinny and scrawny that give us kind of all a bad reputation. Um, and unfortunately, that does happen. I get that droughts come through and things like that, but we always try to hold back feed and be ready for the, the bad times too. Um, it's really important to me to make sure my cows look good when they get to an auction even if it's just a local auction Mm -hmm. well that kind of leads us into transition like what you know building local markets and especially building local markets away from the hub um you know how's how's the local market there grown since since you got in the industry and 
you know, when I say local market, I don't mean within your area code or within your town. I mean, within the reach of, uh, of Oregon, of, of the West coast, it's, it, and it's interesting. So we did a dinner one time here on the East coast and, um, there's a Halsa steakhouse. It's like a sizzler or a Ponderosa, right? It's not really a steakhouse. It's kind of a salad bar type of deal. But uh, we did a gathering and it was just a conversation with a few breeders over the wintertime. Like, hey, we haven't seen anybody in a while. Like, let's get together and eat. Let's do it at Halsa Steakhouse. This was in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And we just kind of put the word out there. Nobody was paying for it. It wasn't associated with anything. There was no agenda. It was just to sit down and have a dinner. And we had people six hours north out of New York come and people six hours south out of North Carolina come. Um, so, so, so tell me what, it, what the local market is, the, the West Coast market has done since you guys got started in the Longhorn business. And, and what year did you get? What, what year was you buy those first five cows? So we, that was in, uh, it's been 12 years. Okay. 12 years first cows. And when I started out, um, first I'll tell you, uh, one of the locals that really helped me out was Daniel Faye, Daniel and Angelina Faye. And it's a funny story how we met. We met through the landscaping world. He's a vineyard manager, and I, I uh, landscape a lot of wineries and high-end residential. And I was working on a project where we planted all these trees out in this field for this winery, and it was just beautiful. They were starting to come up, and next time I come up, they're all mowed down. Well, Daniel's company had come out and done some mowing, but they didn't realize that uh, there were trees in the field and they just went over some six-foot trees. It was crazy. And so I was ready for a battle. I was going to go tell this guy what I thought. <laughs> we had uh, lunch together. He said, well, let's do this over lunch. And I started talking to him. And he, he's like, yeah, we'll make it right. And then I'm like, yeah, this guy's an upstanding guy. And we started talking about another project down the road. And he's like, yeah, those are my longhorns. And I said, well, man, I, I just bought some longhorns. And so then I'll, that was it. We were best friends from that point on. You were uh, buds. We were buds. And, you know, uh, we have mutual respect for each other. I didn't have to chew his butt. Um, it was kind of nice. We, uh, we got along just great. But he kind of was one of the, the main markets around here at that time. And so I learned a lot from him. And I felt like we were a little bit isolated, probably like you do at times, because we're so far away from Texas and Oklahoma and all that. But the more we grew and started getting it out there, people love seeing longhorns in their pasture, even if it's one or two. So the market for a few, I mean, all across our region is pretty good. For high numbers, it's not so good. And for processing, it's, it's a really difficult concept. I mean, we had, uh, we had our longhorn on the menu at a really high-end market, um, and it was cool. Uh, there would be lines out the door I have a lot of business contacts, so whenever they had our, our burger on their menu, it would be a locals' night, and we would call a bunch of people, and they would just show up, and the line would go out the door, and they made this cult following. But getting them USDA inspected was a different story. Uh, it was just hit and miss, so that market wasn't a very steady market for us. Um, but the market that is steady is new breeders coming in all the time. There's, there's people... Um, getting a five and 10 acre parcels around here that can handle one or two, three cows on them. And, uh, they just love them. And that's been a great market for us in, in all of the Northwest, I would say. And that grows, right? Because they get involved and, and what we found on the East coast, and I know it's like this everywhere else is that people don't understand how to 
how to market their cattle, right? So the only way traditionally that a lot of them really understood was take them to a sale barn, right? That's the only market. And to, to think about selling a five or $10,000 animal is kind of out of their realm because they, they never saw it, right? It, at the sale barn, they bring $2 a pound if they're Angus or two fifty or whatever on really good days. Uh, Longhorns are bringing 50 cents or a dollar a pound. And so when they see that, they're like, well, heck, I'm, I'm only going to buy $1,500 cows or $2,500 cows because I, I can't get out of them. I don't know how to get out of them. All right, all you breeders out there, have you checked out Hired Land and Cattle just south of Stillwater, Oklahoma? Owned by Kale and Tiffany Hire, these Oklahoma State grads got into Longhorns like many of us as an economical way to keep the pastures mowed down. What started out as just some cows has turned into a way of life. You'll find great genetics roaming the pastures of Hired Land and Cattle, including the great Rocketman Tenbull. This horn showcase winner is over 90 inches tip to tip and sired by PCC Rimrock. If you're looking for heifers, pears, steers, or package deals, be sure to check out Higher Landing Cattle in Oklahoma. You can find them at HigherHorns.com. That's H-Y-E-R-H-O-R-N-S.com. And that's generally where people start. Once they figure out that there is a market, how to market, that you can, like you said, take care of them, have them in good condition, and consign them to a really good sale, and that they bring really good money. Because right now, the marketing of these sales is nationally, right? It's not just regionally. It kind of gives them hope that, hey, maybe I can invest in a better better quality animal. So those smaller breeders that get started that buy those three or four, excuse me, $1,500 cows, $2,000 cows, eventually they're going to turn that over and they're going to start buying bigger ones and better ones. And that's, that's how you grow, right? That's how your, your local, uh, operations just explode because now, I mean, you guys are, it's, it's, you're not reinventing the wheel. You got somebody working with different genetics. You don't have to travel 3,500 miles to find new genetics. They're right there locally. You know, it's, it's almost like running a race, but now it's a relay team. You don't have to run the whole thing yourself. Um, right. that's where the growth the is. The best thing about Longhorn people are we all like to work together. And I love that about our industry. I, I can tell you that any, any sale I've ever gone to, everyone stuck, stuck their neck out for you or done something for you. And they're just great people, right? They, they're always willing to lend a helping hand. Um, like even for our sale this year, I was amazed about the amount of hours people volunteered just just to help make sure it's successful. It does help them in the end because we got a market this way, but at the same time, they don't have to do that. You know, they're not getting paid for it, but they care about our industry. And I just find that across the board. I don't care what region of the, of the United States I've been in. I've seen it everywhere. They long bring people typically watch out for. Well, and I think when you create buy-in to an event, that where people feel like it's theirs too, and it should be right. A, a sale is a partnership. It right. should be a partnership between consigners and sale hosts. And when both, when one does well, both do well. And when when somebody feels that it's a it's a partnership, like you're doing it right, right. It's a long term investment. It's not a a quick hitter where sale makes money and then they're out. It is an absolute long term investment where it's only going to grow and and kind of benefit both markets, uh, the sale market and the private treaty market itself. So, I mean, what does uh, hosting this sale, right? So this is your, is it your third year hosting the sale? 
third. Yep, that's correct. Okay. What, how's that going? Tell me, tell me what you've learned over three years. And, and I will go on the <laughs> record and say, I think everybody should host a sale. And <laughs> the reason being is everybody will have consignments in on time. They'll have their ads in on time. They'll understand how deadlines work because deadlines are irrelevant to everybody except who's setting the deadlines. Um, but uh, I'll step off my soapbox and, and, and let you tell everybody what, uh, what it's taught you in the last three years. You hear me chuckling in the background because I know you've been through it and I've been through it too. It's funny. Um, you know, you might love these Longhorn people to death, but they are the worst about deadlines. And some of your best <laughs> friends are, are right? the biggest culprits. <laughs> the closer you are to a person, the further out their uh, injury is. Yep. Um, but uh, I do, I start, I, you know, I told my wife, we went to Cabo for four days and I said, we're just taking a quick break. We'll get some stuff taken care of. But in one month, we start our sale all over again. And she goes, I know, I know. I think it's a constant thing, right? You're always improving. But you're also, if you want to get good consignments, you're always talking to people about what you want and what's on the horizon and things like that. But then putting that catalog together is the most stressful thing. You want everyone to be happy. You want to make sure that the, the cows kind of go in some kind of rhythm and rhyme to everything right and i've learned a lot about that part it's pretty interesting uh one year we packed up the middle one year we packed up the front one year we packed up the back so we're trying to figure out you know what what exactly our our perfect rhythm is to things and everyone learns that but it's fun um just uh the consignment thing um making sure people understand what the value of the cow is and you, you just ask them what their expectations are. And a cow that you maybe think is okay, it's maybe on the fence line, but we want to make sure you understand where your, where your cow ranks kind of in this, this whole scheme of things. And sometimes people are blinded by, by their cows. You know, that's their cow. They love it. Um, and it's a, it's a hard conversation to have. But it, we're open it, it is. I mean, expectations are everything too, right? I mean, um, I mean, you touch on some some really important stuff. I mean, the, the sale catalog or the sale consignment or lotting side is itself is a heartbeat, right? Is as the ups and downs of the sale, and you want to keep the the rhythm steady and and whatnot, and and figuring that out is a is a learning experience in itself, and also managing expectations because you know that's what that's what a sale does is is putting the kettle out there for the market on what they're worth today. That could change tomorrow and it changed from yesterday. So, uh, you know, sometimes, I don't know, there, there, there's been some, some of the worst enemies in a sense where somebody says, well, so-and-so said my cow was worth X. And it's like, well, uh, I hope they come here to buy her because <laughs> I don't know if she's worth that. And, you know, everybody wants to know, well, what's my cow going to bring? Well, she's going to bring what somebody's willing to give. And, and I can't control that. You can't control that. All we can do is put the marketing out there and hopefully have everybody in the room who wants this cow, right? So it's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting. The one thing you guys did and, and, and have grown, and, and it's not a secret, I love fraternities, right? I, I love the concept of them. I love what they can do for the industry as far as growing it. I like the value that it brings to a program and, and how you can be profitable in a program. See, because the only two ways right now to profitize, that was a Ben Gravit word, profitize in the Longhorn industry is terminal. You either kill your cow or you sell your cow. And taking from the horse world to be able to bring in, you know, some animals that 
that generate revenue or generate you know, some type of, of fund without having to get rid of them. And the fraternity has kind of been a good, a good outlier for that. And, and you guys did something that really caught my attention. And that was your grand champion, uh, bull and grand champion heifer, something that's never been done to that level. Um, talk to, talk to us about that. How did that come to be? And, and, you know, what brought you guys to that? You know, I'd, I'd look like a hero if I thought of it myself, but I did not. Um, I had um, Twisted Horn came to me and said, hey, uh, next year we want to sponsor. Who, who's Twisted Horn? Twisted Horn is Justin Rithman. Okay. Uh, he's the long leader that. Uh, yep, I know Justin. Kind of up and down, up and down, and he realized, hey, I, I think there's a lot more value in this beef than we're giving credit so I want to make sure there's a lot of bulls at our next maturity, and I want to talk a little bit about how important it is to raise bulls and steers um, as a lean ground beef program. And I said, all right, that's fine. And uh, so he said, I'll give you $5,000 for the grand champion, um, and we'll get that baby going. And I said, that's a great idea. That's going to be a nice little hook for everyone. So I started talking to Bob Larson about that, and Bob Larson's like, well, I'll put a $1,000 in for the heifers to make sure we get the heifers up there. And then uh, Dean Whitlock talked to me, and he's a great guy. He, uh, he came out of nowhere and just said, I'll give you $2,500 toward the grand champion uh, female. So then we had $3,500 for the grand champion female total and 5000 for the bull. I mean, that's a huge return on your investment. That's some people selling their cow, right? I mean, that's absolutely right. And and, and it's not terminal. And and you made a comment. Right. You, you, it wasn't your idea. You don't want to be the hero or whatever. But the reality is, is you created an environment where, where people want to participate in something like that. I mean, kudos to you, kudos to Amy, everybody involved in that sale, whether they're consigners or sponsors or, or they just there to help cook or clean up or whatever. Like, I mean, all that goes together. And... Like, like that's huge. And I don't think you, and maybe you do, but the, the ripple effect of that, right? Like challenging the status quo and limitations are ours, right? They're, the limitations are our limitations. And we set them to ourselves on why we can't do certain things or how certain things can't happen. But all of a sudden, when, when you did something like that, that, that challenges some people. And, and I had a quick conversation with Wayne Manning about it. And, you know, that, that kind of challenges a status quo of like, what can we do? And, and that was huge. Uh, so, I mean, so, so I didn't mean right. to interrupt, but you guys, so you guys got that going. How did that, how did that affect your fraternity? I mean, did you gain more entries because of that? Like, like how did that work marketing wise? I'm going to say, unfortunately, yes. And the reason I say, unfortunately, because we weren't prepared for how many more maturity animals we had. I mean, man, I had to buy pins right and left, but it was, it was cool because we, we were able to get all the pins set and, you know, get everybody kind of organized and, but it, it doubled our maturity in one year. So it was kind of cool to see that, that difference because we had just started it the year before and we were just getting the hang of it. And then we fast forward it with this and, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. I mean, one ranch brought 21 um, heifers and bulls. Yeah, I so mean, was, you, you just got thrown. You got thrown right in the deep end, right there. But, um, it, you know, exactly. what, what's it going to yeah, do? What's it going to do though? If it next thing you know, people from the Midwest are starting to travel there because, 
of of that possibility, right? Of the fact that Absolutely. they can win an additional five thousand dollar check. Like if if now I'll, maybe I'll put you on the spot with this, and, and I'm sure you guys have had this conversation. Are you going to do it again next year? Like what's what's the plan for that for next year? That's the plan. We wanna we wanna get them both at five thousand. That's our goal is to get both the the heifer and the bull at five thousand. Um, and that will that will kind of even it out, but also get people like, all right, this is a serious futurity. Let's let's take our cows to this. This will be cool. I'll tell you, you know, working on the fraternity money earners list side of things, I love when the data comes in and I get to put that in, and and we're promoting that actually now, and and this podcast will be released after this, but currently we're promoting what fraternity of the West is as doing, and. I mean, it's it's made a significant impact. Goldmine was a big winner on that. He jumped up into the top five leaderboard. There was a Cal JHC, and I'm as I pull up my notes here, uh, I'm going to get to that. But the uh, the Sillers, you know, they all of a sudden jumped up in the top five uh, yeah. on on the the exhibitor of the year. And then it's a Jason Hardy Cal, and I'm I'm stumbling around because I'm trying to sit here to pull up pull up the website oh yeah that was the bull the, the grand champion bull was uh, a son of jason hardy's cow yep, yep. jhcc pinna rose and and she jumped up to first place in cow of the year after 11 events right and that's just that's- by winning two checks um yep and and that's incredible you know and and and, and saying that the, the top two as i'm looking at it is jcch pinna rose she's number one right now in the in the leans for cow of the year and then second underneath her is DC Miss Tuffy. And that was the dam of the heifer that won the grand champion. Um, so see, and maybe other futurities can look at that and go, we might need to, to, to beef up these stakes a little bit. It's right. Like I said, the ripple effect that you guys have, have done, I don't think is, is understood right yet. Even across the industry, I had a, when the fraternity money earners list first got going, um, John Randolph, there was a fraternity who uh, didn't want to to buy into that buckle chase for that year. And John Randolph said, I'll pay it. Like, get my animals on that list. This, the whole concept of fraternity money earners is really run by the people, not by the fraternities, not by me. It's who wants to get their animals in on this and be recognized for it. Um, right. And the, the whole concept is I want to track this type of stuff, right? I want to have a cow at some point say, Hey, this, this animal has won $40,000 in her lifetime. This animal has produced a hundred thousand dollars in her lifetime. And, uh, again, going back to a conversation with Wayne Manning, you know, we're talking right now, we had a $5,000, uh, bonus check to the grand champion bull and the fraternity of the West. That's phenomenal. What are we going to be talking about in 10 years? Like, is that going to be standard? Or, or, you know, is it going to be way more than that? Are we going to be talking about a $50,000 check? Are we going to be talking about a $100,000 check? Like, we don't know because we, again, our limitations are our limitations. A decade ago or half a decade ago, we would have thought that paying out 5000 is crazy. Like, that's that's not going to happen. Right. Right. But but you guys challenged it and, uh, and and maybe not intentionally. You're just having a good time. And, and that's what the fraternities are for the promotion of Longhorns. And, and all of a sudden... Uh, you made something that's going to affect the fraternity world and Longhorn industry in a positive fashion that, that we're not even aware of right now. So, um, well, let's hope so. I hope so. It was, it was really cool to see. And, and here's where I missed out. Right. And, 
and I hope this podcast and I hope we can continue to promote it into next year is that this is going on. Like this is happening. I had a conversation with Bob Larson. It was in the summer. It was in Reno of 2021. And uh, it was July of 2021. And that's when Ann and I were working on the millennium. And we decided, we decided out there at the Reno sale that we were going to make it a hundred thousand dollar event. Like just in the middle of the sale, we were talking and we're like, we got to guarantee it a hundred thousand. And I, I sat down next to Bob Larson and I said to Ann, I said, let me talk to Bob real quick. I want to see his pulse on this. And so I said to Bob, I said, Hey, would you travel to Lexington, Kentucky for a fraternity? Now where we were talking like 2,300 miles. And he's like, right. no, he's like, I, I, I wouldn't, that's just too far. And I said, I understand. I said, would you travel there for a hundred thousand dollar purse? And he was like, yep. And <laughs> so like that, go. that was the line, right? What, what happens when this gets out? You know, you said your fraternity doubled in the last year. Like I might say that it might not double again, but maybe it might. Um, yeah. you know, when people start seeing that the payouts, uh, all of a sudden to go and win a $200 checks, not, not as appealing but now all of a sudden to go and win a five thousand dollar check like yeah that covered a trip like and then some so right there yep it 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 absolutely comes into into that play so well being out west in a gorgeous place you know what's next for the oregon trail sale you know how do you top how do you top what you did last year well i think we continue to improve our improve our marketing number one you know we're such a isolated area. It's it's hard to to get a lot of really really high end cows. We did really good on the high medium kind of cows this year. I thought that was great. I like to have a couple of high end cows just to excite some people. But not only that, I'd like to get more more involvement on the like the hired hand live bidding and things like that. We we can improve our marketing, I think, and we we always are working at it, but. It's a it's a task to get it out there. Of course, we want to improve the sale itself um, and just kind of work out any kinks. Every year, there's a couple of things that happen, and then you go, okay, l- let's address this and 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 move forward. Two years ago, you know, behind the scenes was it got a little bit chaotic. I challenged my ranch manager to uh, to just I said, you know, you don't get one single complaint to the back crew. I'm going to give all of you guys these good bonuses and. I didn't get a single complaint. I got people writing comments about how great it was. I sat those guys down in a meeting and got out my checkbook. And that speaks louder than anything to these guys. They they just loved it. Certainly. So we're always trying to improve. Um, and I think having the, the facility be its best, having uh, my working crews be calm and cool with the cattle, you know, especially futurity cattle. These people are bringing them back home afterwards. We don't want them all riled up. You know, this is their babies. And the cows that they're selling, they got to look good when they get in the ring. So we try to keep them as calm as possible. And and I always preach, you know, slow and steady wins the race when you're working cattle. Let's just be smart about it. Well, the, so that's the one thing you guys definitely have going is, is you got a heck of a momentum wave working right now, right? You got the success of your sale, which... I mean, I'm all the way on the East Coast, and I hear about it, and um, it's just a good event, right? Like people are having fun, and it's when they're having fun, it it brings a whole different value to it. So, uh, and it's a destination type of place, right? Um, I was talking to Lindsey McIntyre and Jeremy McIntyre; they freaking loved it, you know, going out there and just seeing what Oregon had to offer. 
um, you're in a gorgeous part of the country. That's that's half the battle. But the other half is you guys put on a heck of an event um, that was was worked out really well, was thought out really well, and uh, and you knocked it out of the park. You know, with your fraternity. Um, yeah. That's something that. I really think every sale should have a fraternity with it. And, and, and here's my pitch on that is because not everybody can participate in a sale, right? Not everybody can consign, not everybody's in the market to buy, not everybody's in the market to bid. And, and talking about the kind of the, the profile of the people in that area where you said, you know, they can have a couple cows on, on five to 10 acres type of deal. Like we want them involved in the sale, but but they're not going to be there to buy something. So, you know, you don't want to have 200 people in the room and only three people bidding on everything, but to have them show up on a fraternity side to be able to bring what they have and promote what they have and feel like they're involved and feel like they have some type of val- or value and some type of ownership to what you guys are doing because, hey, this is my event. Like, this is my event for the West Coast. Like, I need to be involved in it. I need to make sure that, you know, I feel some type of responsibility to its success. Like, when, when you guys get that and you guys have that, um, boy, that it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. I sure hope so. I, I love doing it. I love meeting new Longhorn people. And, you know, the the entertainment side comes naturally to my wife and I. We We entertain a lot for our clients and things like that. So, we know what we like to do, so we just try to make it fun for everybody else. If I were to go to a Longhorn sale, I know kind of what makes it fun when I go to other states and go to a Longhorn sale. So we started kind of looking at what we have around here, which there's just so much beauty around here and so many places to go to. We started going, okay, this is going to work for our sale. And so far, so good. People love coming. It's, it's an experience. It's not just a Longhorn sale. It's, it's an experience for sure. Well, you guys have uh, have been doing a great job, and uh, I can't wait for next year and seeing what you're doing. I know, like you said, uh, it's not this isn't a three month deal or two month deal. It's it's a it's a year round type of thing, and to constantly be promoting and and putting bugs in people's people's ears about hey, this is what we're looking for, this is what we want to do, and uh, I I can't wait to see what happens next year for you guys because uh, you've created such a great culture. Um, and it's, it's only going to continue to get better because you're going to put the work into it. And again, if you look at, like I said, 2018, we went to one of your job sites and I knew right then and there what type of, of operation you were going to have. And, and you had just bought that property down there on the river where you live now. And we drove down there and looked at it and seeing the pictures of what you've created now versus what it was then, uh, is, is unbelievable. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the industry because, you know, we got people like you at the helm, you know, leading by example and, and really kind of taking these local markets and putting them on your back and, and feeling responsible for them. Uh, and we need that, right? We need that within the Longhorn industry because it's a grassroots type of organization. It's a grassroots industry. And we got to have those relationships with people on a local level with folks that are putting on events and, and giving the smaller breeder uh, an opportunity to be involved. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that simple. Well, we're looking forward to it being bigger and better. We're looking forward to seeing you out this way too sometime soon. Oh, I had a great time and I'd love to come back. I absolutely would. Well, 
I know it's uh, it's 741 on the East Coast and 441 on the West Coast. Uh, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy person and you guys are hammering. And I just want to thank you for jumping on and, and talking to us about what you had going on in Oregon and, and your continued growth in it. And uh, like I said, I can't wait for next year. And hopefully we can have this conversation again on, on how much better it was and how excited it's been and, and where it's going from there. Well, I appreciate it, Bear. I appreciate your time as well. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Yeah, bye. What a great conversation that was. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did with Scott Picker. You know, these are the conversations I love. Scott has so much to give to the Longhorn industry and so much we can learn from. It's it's these outside-the-box ideas that really change the landscape and challenge the status quo within the industry. You know, the biggest killer that that we can have is the idea that well we've always done it that way and bringing in these outside ideas you know scott has a huge background in the landscape business and the landscape industry and 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 taking those ideas and you know you wouldn't think that they would add any value to a cal event or a longhorn event or whatever it is but they do um, especially, you know, people that are successful, that, that success isn't limited to just where they come from. It's just, it's who they are. Um, so really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you all so very much for listening. Uh, if you can, please give us a follow on whatever streaming site you're listening to. If you can even share this uh, or give us a share on Facebook, that would be lovely as well. We hope everybody is being safe and having fun. If there's ever anything that I can do, please don't hesitate to reach out. You guys have a great day.